God loves variety, doesn't he? Look around you. <laughs> what a crazy bunch. Uh, uh, there are crazy bunches like this in buildings like this all through the GTA and and all across our country and, and all around the world. And it's been that way now for more than 2,000 years. The world is an immense, diverse, spectacular place, and it seems to have been God's idea. Every tree is different, every plant is different, every animal is different, and certainly every human being is different. It's a creative masterstroke by God when you think about it. God never makes copies of anything. No two things are exactly alike. Everything gets to be an original. I read this week that in one cubic inch of snow, there are 18 million snowflakes. I don't know who counted. Somebody did. And no two of them are alike. Again, I don't know who checked that out. Some PhD student somewhere. But it's, it's creative overkill, right? God could have made us alike. We could have just rolled off the assembly line, mass-produced human beings, everybody looking like Vinroy. How about that, Ellie? Wouldn't that be great? It'd be a little confusing. Yeah, whose car do you get in at the end of the morning? But same hair, same skin, same personality, everything, except that was never God's intent. Why? Because an original is always going to be worth more than a copy. You're worth far more as an original than you ever would be as a copy of someone else. And God says exactly that about you. You're valuable. You are created by God. Jesus died for you. It says something about your worth. God's Spirit lives in you. You matter to God. The Bible is very clear that God specifically shaped every human being to his customized standard. There's nobody like you in the entire world. You are absolutely unique. You're not one in a million. These days, it turns out you are one in 8.5 billion, or whatever the number becomes. He wanted everyone to be an original, and that dates all the way back to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. So this morning, we're starting a new series, and, uh, and Pastor Sheldon has hinted at it, and Pastor Nathan has prayed for it, and Rochelle and the team have planned some great worship around it. But we're going to begin talking this morning about how it is that God packaged you in the unique way that makes you the person that he designed. And it goes again, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. You're going to need your Bibles this morning. In fact, you're, you're going to need them throughout the series. Your Bibles, because I'm going to ask you to make some markings in them. Or your phones, where you can engage the highlighting feature, whatever it is that phones do. But all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, listen to what it says. God shaped man from the soil of the ground and blew into him the breath of life, and that man became a living being. In your Bibles, I want you to underline, highlight, or circle the word shaped. That word is found throughout the scriptures. God says that he custom shaped you, and there is no one else who is shaped just like you. Psalm 139, if you want to flip ahead. 139, verses 13 to 16. Let's read that. You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you, for you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. You saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. 
And when I was put together there, you saw my body as it was being formed, and all the days planned for me were written in your book before I was even one day old. You want to see what God did for you? This is what the Bible says. You made me. Circle that in Psalm 139. You made me. You formed me in my mother's womb. Circle the word formed. You saw my bones being knit together. In other words, as I took shape, you're the one who put me together. God puts you together. Circle that. And all the days of your life were planned out for you before you were born. So notice the testimony of Scripture. God made me. God formed me. God saw me. God shaped me. God put me together and planned out the days of my life. By the way, that's why so many Christians think that abortion is a tragedy. Abortion short-circuits a human being that God had designed from before their creation. And you may have heard this before, you may have heard us say it before, there may be accidental parents in the world, but there are no accidental children. You're not an accident. There may be illegitimate parents in the world, but there are no illegitimate children. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. And all of these truths, they coalesce in the next verse of Scripture I'd like you to look at with me. In the book of Job, in chapter 10, in verse 8, just this, this simple statement, God, your hands formed me and they shaped me. Ever stop to think that way? That you were made by the hand of God, handcrafted, didn't roll off some celestial assembly line, that, that God was intricately and intimately involved in the specifics of creating you. What does it mean? It means not only are you not an accident, it means that God chose every detail of your life, the stuff that you don't like and the stuff that you do, the stuff you consider weaknesses and the stuff you consider strengths. He chose it for you. And then after God made you, the mold was broken. You're never going to find anybody else with exactly the same combination of personality and experiences and abilities that God placed in you. You're unique. Now, why does God go to all that trouble? Because he loves variety and he loves originality. Here's the problem, though. In fact, there's two. First, most people don't like the way that they are. They're always thinking, you know, I wish I was just a few inches taller or a little bit thinner or maybe I could put on a little bit more weight. Uh, us with these white complexions wish they were a little darker. And what I've learned from some of my brothers and sisters from South Asia is those with dark complexions, they wish they were a little bit lighter. We wish we had better teeth or nicer hair or more talent. I wish I could just be like him, right, or her. We don't accept ourselves. We're always complaining or competing rather than accepting who God makes us to be. And when you do that, doesn't it create all kinds of problems for you? We don't accept ourselves and we lead these frustrated lives. But here's the second thing that it makes us do, and it's a problem. Instead of accepting who we are, we try to be somebody else. And we built massive industries on this, right? I want to wear the same shoes as that guy. Because then I can really dunk. You know, I, I want to dress the way that she does. 
I want to be able to, to manipulate the stock market the way that they have. I want to achieve the livelihood that they enjoy. I want to please my parents. I want to aspire to be what they are. All these different things. Most people start out as originals and they wind up spending all their energy trying to be carbon copies of someone else. And if you're not going to be you, all you wind up doing is taking somebody else's spot on the planet. Only you get to be you. God says, I made you, I shaped you, I designed you. About 30 years ago, a church in the southern United States came up with an acrostic to be able to help people journey through a deeper awareness of how it is that God fashioned you. That's the acrostic on the wall, the word shape. I won't tell you what church it was, but I'll tell you they're located in the Saddleback Valley. That helps, yeah. But for the past few decades, um, it's helped churches across North America and it's spread worldwide. So some of you have heard this before. Maybe some of you have run across or heard teaching on this before. But the truth is your shape, the way that we're going to use that acronym, influences every part of your life. Your shape will determine what classes really you ought to avoid in university, For some of us, that came way too late. We paid too much money and sat tediously through the wrong classes before we realized, hey, that wasn't for me. That was not for me. Your shape determines what kind of friends will gravitate towards you, what kind of spouse you should seek out, the temptations that you are most likely to be susceptible to in the world. Your shape determines why some things frustrate you, but they don't frustrate your spouse or your parents or your kids. You're shaped differently. It's your shape that determines the best work environment for you, the best ministry for you. Your shape will determine where you're bound to fail in life and where you will probably succeed. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at all that kind of stuff together. But when you know what God shaped you to do, I think you'll find it reduces your stress, it increases your satisfaction, your self-esteem goes up. It increases your odds of success in whatever it is you're trying to achieve. When you work in the area for which God has formed you and shaped you, you just you have this sense that, you know what? It feels right. That's me. That's why I was born. It, com- it, just, it connects with the deepest part of who I am. And so let me be really honest at the outset that some of you are going to sit through part of this and you're going to go away thinking, you know what? I'm in the wrong job. I am in the wrong career, or listen, I'm volunteering in the wrong ministry. And I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor, maybe you need to change that. Life is just too short, right? It's too short to spend it drifting through things that you are not shaped to do. And so it's going to take some courage, not just to listen, but to respond to what God may be saying about your life. This morning as we start the series, I'm going to ask you just three simple questions. We'll ask them together. First, what is SHAPE? And we'll fast forward through the acronym, what each of those letters stand for, and then over the next five weeks we'll unpack them one at a time. But what do we mean when we say, my SHAPE? Second question we're going to ask, and it's one you should always ask, why should I care? Why does it make a difference? Why did I show up and sit through 30 minutes of this? And then the third question how should I respond? Let's start just by understanding the acronym. What does SHAPE mean? Well, it's really about your design. You are designed by God to make a difference for God. That's the teaching of the scripture. 
One of the great verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says that when God looks at you and I, he says we are, and here's the word, masterpieces. We are God's handiwork. Now, there are days in your life, and certainly in mine, when I don't feel at all like a masterwork or the handiwork of God. But that's how he describes us. We were made by him to make a difference for him. Kingdom impact. So how is it that you figure out the way that you were designed? Well, that's the acronym SHAPE. And so very quickly going through the letters, the letter S stands for spiritual gifts. The Bible teaches us that there are many things that happen to us when Jesus starts working in our lives. Right? One of the things that happens is that, that God takes up powerfully a residence in our lives, and he seeds into our lives certain, certain abilities that may not have been there before. The Bible calls them spiritual gifts. And like any gift... You have to unwrap them in order to use them. And so as we journey through these weeks together, we're going to help you understand and unwrap your spiritual gifts. There's over 20 of them listed in the New Testament. The lists aren't meant to be comprehensive. There's probably more than that. But each and every one of us are gifted by God for his purposes. Not for our own indulgement, but for his glory and in order to build up the work of the church. So the S in shape stands for spiritual gifts. The H in shape stands for heart. And we're talking about heart, we're talking about it in the, in the language of passion. As one pastor put it, what puts the quiver in your liver? What is it, what is it that makes you want to get up in the morning? There are lots of things that we're passionate about, but there's certainly a whole lot more that we're not. And there's nothing more demoralizing or grinding than living a life where the things that you're most passionate about are least a part of your days. So my question with you is going to be, what is it that you are passionate about? And how can you unlock that passion for God's purposes? The A in shape, the H is for heart. The A is for ability. All of us have ability, natural ability. You're, you're born with it. You can see it emerge in your kids as they grow. You have certain abilities, five, six, seven hundred of them. Right? And we want to help you kind of raise up the ones that are right there on the top and claim them and figure out how to use them in significant ways as you unpack the shape that God has given you for life. The A is for ability. The P in shape is personality. And this is where we begin to look at the question of how God specifically has wired you. We all navigate life differently, don't we? Some of us in the room are very competitive. Others, very cooperative. Some are extroverts. Some are introverts. Some of us in the room are going to be really self-expressive and others much more reserved, self-controlled. Some of us love variety, diversity. We want to be there on the cutting edge, always trying something new. Others of us, we just like routine. We like it the way we like it. Something very comforting about knowing that it's always going to be that way. How has God wired you? Don't try and be an extrovert if God made you an introvert. Instead, be the best introvert you can be for the glory of God. That's the idea. 
So the P is for personality. The last letter in shape, the E, stands for experiences. We all have experiences in our lives. It doesn't matter if you were raised maybe in the picture-perfect postcard of a family or if your family felt more like an episode of American Horror Story. God uses all of it. He can use it. He can redeem it. He wants to, both the positive and the painful. I'll tell you this for... For years and years, or close to 20 years, I didn't want to let anybody know about parts of my life. I thought there's no way that God can use that. It's, it's too painful. It's frankly too embarrassing. And it wasn't until much more recently that, that I reached the place of, of letting people know that God has made me both strong and weak has given me great encouragement and also great challenge in life. So let's ask the question together, what are the experiences in your past that you keep wanting to hold back? Maybe God can challenge you in this series to let those things out for His purposes and for His glory. The bottom line is this, you were made by God and made to make a difference for God. And in order to embrace that, it's going to require a level of courage and honesty that's, that's frankly not easy. But my challenge for you and for all of us is going to be to give yourself permission to see yourself as the workmanship, the masterpiece that you were created to be. And if it's not going to be you, what that means is there is going to be a hole somewhere in history where God designed you to fit. And somewhere else in the landscape of history, there's going to be a bump because more than one person are piled into the space that was uniquely created for only one. They're trying to be clones. So why should you care? I mean, other than it being kind of a tidy little acronym that looks colorful on the wall, why why should you care? Maybe there's a bunch of reasons, but I, I just wanted to give you three this morning, why it matters. Here's the first reason. Because your shape reveals God's purposes for you. You want to find out what God wants to do with your life? Discover how he made you. That has to be the most popular question in every Bible study I've ever been part of. How do I understand God's will for my life? Start with this. Start by studying who you are. How did God design you? You know, architects have this phrase, right? They say that form follows function. All architects know this. Form follows function. And what they mean is, you tell me what you want to use the building for, and then I'll tell you how it should be designed. You tell me the function, and then I will give you the form. If the function is going to be church, well, this is how we're going to design it to be a church. If it's going to be a cafeteria, we're going to design it this way so it can be a cafeteria. That's how it works in architecture. With human beings, it's exactly the opposite. With human beings, function follows form. In other words, figure out how God shaped you and then you'll begin to understand his purpose for your life. Figure out how he formed you And then you will understand his will for you. If I figure out what it is that God packed into my life when he made me, 
it gives me a pretty good starting point about what he expects me to do. Why? Because God will not gift me and give me heart and ability and personality and experiences all in one area and then say, but I want you to ignore all of that and go to work over here, even though you hate it and you're bad at it. If you're good at something, there's a pretty good indication right there that it's something God would like to see you do. God says this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Amazing to think about it, right? God says, before you were even born, he had stuff in mind for you. That's the first reason why it it really ought to make a difference. If you want to understand God's purpose for your life, study your shape. Here's the second idea. See how this sits with you, but... Not only does your shape reveal something about God's purpose for you, but it also is the way that God equips you to serve. God equips you to serve through the way he's shaped you. The Bible says this again. Have a look at Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5. Isaiah 49, 5. God formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, and he commissioned me. God has a mission for you. I mean, we do this great thing every once in a while where we will bring people up on the stage and we'll commission them and we'll pray for them and we'll send them off onto the mission field somewhere. We, we just did that with Adam and Tracy Pepper and they've arrived safely in the Dominican Republic. We did that with our Philippines mission team and our Bolivia mission team. And, but really, you all belong on the stage because God has shaped you all for a mission. There is a life mission that God has for you. Nobody else may know exactly what it is, but God wants you to do it with your life and invest fully in it. How do you understand what it is? How do you, how do you carry it out? Well, that has everything to do with your shape. Then here's the last little rationale for why it really ought to make a difference. Because it shows God's glory. When you use your shape, when you know how God made you, when you do what it is that you were designed to do, not only does it make you more effective, not only do you feel good, God smiles on that. One of the great Christian leaders from the first century, a man named Irenaeus, who was famous for this quote, he said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Glory of God is a human being fully alive. Anything, something fulfills its God-given purpose. It brings glory to God. So what am I saying? We receive all this stuff in life. We receive it as a gift from God. It can either be used or neglected. It can be used or it can be misused. But every gift of God is there in front of us. Take a bunch of examples. Take sex, because our society loves to talk about it, right? When sex is used the way God intended between husband and wife, it brings glory to God. God looks on, and it's kind of creepy, right? God looks on and says, that's what I made them to do. And there's glory in it. But it can also be misused. It can be abused. It can dishonor God. Think about money, which can be used to honor God, used wisely, 
can be misused and abused and bring, bring great dishonor and cause great havoc in the world. Time, another great example. We can use our time to honor God or it can be misused and abused. We abuse our time, we waste it, we, we fritter it away, and it doesn't bring any honor to God. Everything in life can be used, it can be abused, but it's all a gift. It's all good. And then we decide how it gets used. So what about people? When people fulfill their purpose, they bring glory to God. Here's the problem. As human beings, we don't tend to think like God thinks. And we tend to think that it's the really bright people, the really beautiful people, the really talented people who are the ones that get used. They're the important ones. They're worth a lot. So we'll pay them millions for what they can do on the court or in front of the camera. And then others will ignore And we'll let them die of frostbite on the streets. Because we're convinced that some lives matter more than others. But where in the Bible does it say anything even remotely close to that? That God loves some people and not others. That some are worth more than others. Whether you're contributing in a giant way or some smaller way, or honestly, you are just so depleted and tired that it feels like you're hardly contributing at all. God says you have value in his eyes. God says I made you for my benefit, not for the opinions of other people. Turn with me in Isaiah, in chapter 43, to verse 7. Great verse. Isaiah 43, 7. Bring me all the people who are mine and whom I made for my Glory. Underline that phrase, whom I made for my glory. You were made for the glory of God. That's why you're alive. You were made and God will enjoy you and love you. He likes watching you and he will bring glory out of your life when you live out the shape that he has endowed you with. All life is sacred. It's this mentality that some lives matter more than others. It caused the Holocaust. That's the mentality of Hitler. It caused the genocide in Rwanda, the abomination of apartheid, the devastation of slavery in the States. Some people are more important than others. It's a lie from hell. You are valuable no matter who you are because you were created by God to bring glory to him. Listen, let's... Let's move in the direction of wrapping it up by asking that last question. How should we respond to our shape? Because you can't can't develop it or use it or build on it until you first have done a few important things. And here's the most important. The first step is acceptance. And in some ways, this is the hardest. Acceptance means you believe that God knows best. When he made you, he knew what he was doing. I mean, it comes down to a matter of trust, doesn't it? Do I believe that God made a mistake when he made me? Or do I trust him knowing that when he made me, he had a plan for my life? Do I really believe that? Because when you say, God, I don't like me, you're basically saying, God, you blew it. You really botched it when it came to me. Everybody else seems to be okay, but you goofed on me. And when you reject yourself, in a sense, you're rejecting God because he's your creator. 
You cannot accept yourself. It's an act of rebellion. It's rebellion against God. God says, I made you. I made you to be exactly who you are, and I want to be there with you. Your strengths and your weaknesses, I can use both, and I will use both to bring glory. If you'll just start doing what I made you to do, instead of trying to be like everybody else. This is how the Bible puts it in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. This is a telling question. Romans 9.20, My friend, I ask you, who do you think you are to question God? Does the clay have the right to ask the potter why he shaped it the way he did? The answer is, of course not. Whenever we doubt God's love, whenever we doubt his wisdom, we always get ourselves into trouble. He wanted you alive. He wanted you the way you are. He loves you. So the first step is acceptance. Here's the second step. It's the step of salvation. By salvation, we mean we open ourselves to receive what God is doing in our lives. It's the second step in using your shape. The Bible says this, Psalm 119, verse 41. Let your love, God, this is a prayer, let your love shape my life with salvation exactly the way that you promised. That can shape over a whole lot of mistakes. You're loved by God. The cross proves it. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He says, I've made you. Now I've saved you. And I have a plan for you. And I have a home for you. And you just come with me. Follow me and follow my design for your life. Starts with acceptance. You build salvation into it. And here's the third thing. This is going to require an element of focus. Specifically, refocus. It's going to mean paying attention to what's going on inside your life more than what's going on outside of it. At least that's what we're going to try and do over the next six weeks. Nobody will disagree, I think, when we say that our society is obsessed with externals. It's in every television ad, every magazine spread, every newspaper, every movie. People spend billions of dollars getting us to work on the outside. So they go to spa spa treatments, Use all kinds of... You can see how much I know about spa treatments. I can't even say it. Use all kinds of makeup. We we buy the right clothes. We we buff up on the outside, right? So that we look good. We don't spend anywhere near the amount of time on what's going on inside. It's all about the externals. And yet, listen to what God says. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks only at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we're going to do for the next six weeks. Focus on developing the inside of you. And listen, there is just there is so much material to share with you on this. We can't possibly do it on Sunday mornings, not not just here. So you heard we're starting a small group. We're starting it tomorrow night. Sheldon Uh, Based on the feedback in the first service, it's not a small group anymore. It's growing, and we want to just see it keep growing. We'll meet in here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, We're starting with that key question of of you. How is it that God has made you, your personality? And I hope you'll come, and I hope that you'll commit to coming. I'm going to tell you this just as we close. Well, two things, really. You heard Rochelle talk a little bit about the role of a deceiver in our lives, an adversary. Satan will do everything he can to keep you out of church for the next six weeks. 
This is explosive material. It will change your life. It can change the church. Don't miss the next six weeks in our church. It's important. But here's the second thing. Maybe you know somebody who you share your life with. You share an address. You share a workplace. And you see them going through all kinds of problems. They're really struggling. You can tell they're insecure. Nothing in their life is stable. They're not confident. This would be a great series to bring a friend to. Let me tell you why. One of our goals for this series is to help you become a confident person. That doesn't sound like very churchy language, but hear me out on this. I know a lot of people, but I don't know very many confident people. Most of the people I know are masking all kinds of insecurities. But when you know your shape, you know that this is what God made me to be. And I like me because God seems to like me. He thought me was a good enough idea that he brought me into existence. And if you don't like me, that's your problem. I want to help you become a confident man, a confident woman. Our goal at the end of the series is to have you all be able to stand there with the Apostle Paul and say this, by the grace of God, I am who I am. It wasn't Popeye that said it first. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Let me pray for you, and we'll invite our worship team back, and we'll have a chance to sing again the song they just introduced to us. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are people here, and they've struggled with this. Maybe they've never really been able to accept themselves. There's parts of their life, the way they look or the way they act, talents, something in their background, whatever it is, but they've rejected themselves. I pray that you would help them to take the first steps of healing this morning. And if that describes you, Maybe you want to say this with me. Dear God, I'm sorry that I've had such trouble accepting myself. And I realize today that that means I've never completely accepted you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you made me for a purpose. Thank you for creating me. For making me an original Someone who's worthy and worthwhile and lovable. And I accept how you made me and I receive that as the great encouragement of my life. For some of you this morning, maybe you've never had a chance to fully accept God in your life. And if that's you, You can say with me, Jesus, this morning, I'm taking a stand. And I want to accept you now into my life. I want to follow your purposes. I want to accept forgiveness. I want to learn how better to know myself and to love you. I want to develop what's best about me. And I pray, God, for all of us that in the weeks ahead, That as we discover our shape, that we can come to a greater understanding of God's purpose for us. So that we can know you better, Lord, and 
serve you well. Show your glory and bring a smile to your face. Thank you, God, for all the ways that you have designed, created, upheld, and loved us. We pray together in Jesus' name.